Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you may be afraid to ask. Grab a cup of coffee because today we are talking about heaven and hell, part two. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. Okay, so do you want to recap on what we talked about last time? Sure. So one of the big points that we made last time is that heaven is the domain where God dwells, and that, but that it's not actually the destination that the Bible talks about we're going to for eternity. So we may or may not go to heaven temporarily, but eventually what we're looking ahead to is the resurrection of our bodies and our being reunited with Jesus on this earth. So today we'll talk more about that. Okay, so my main question for you today is, what happens to the earth when Jesus mm -hmm. returns? That's a great question. A lot of Christians assume that, that believers will go to heaven and the earth will burn up and disappear. And there are significant implications to that. If you think that this earth is gonna burn up, then why take care of it? And if you think these bodies are just gonna decay in the ground and will be disembodied for eternity, then even why take care of these bodies? So this is an important question to ask. I wanna take you to the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, and show you just two passages here that I think give us a sense of what's going to happen to the earth. So the first one is in chapter four, verse 11. This is um, a worship scene in the throne room of God where the living creatures and elders and angels are all around God and they're worshiping him. And notice they're worshiping him as creator. Being the creator is a big part of what they're focusing on. Do you want to read verse 11 for us? Sure. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. So we're in a book that's talking about the end of all things. If the created world is disappearing and we don't need creation anymore, then it would be a little bit odd for people to be worshiping God and angels to be worshiping God as creator. It's saying that he's worthy to receive glory because he's the creator. And Okay, so then in chapter 5, we have a second song that's being sung. And it says that the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, which is an embodiment of Jesus. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. And their song is about the worthiness of the lamb. And part of what makes him worthy is that he purchased with his blood persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And then it tells us what the purpose was of the lamb purchasing us. So go ahead and read verse 10 for us. Okay. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. They will reign on the earth. So if the earth is going to burn, then that's not going to work out very well. Well, are they talking about like in the future or like presently? Yeah, this is a future looking, um, looking at where the people of God are going to 
extend and carry out God's rule. And it says here that they'll reign on the earth. So those are two key passages that I think suggest that the earth is not going to be destroyed. Now, a passage that people often turn to as proof that the earth is going to burn up is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. So we should take a look at that. All right. So that says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay, so in some older translations, it said the earth and everything done in it will be destroyed. Uh, this translation is using the language of being laid bare. So it's more like it's being exposed or like, like brought down to bedrock again. So certain things are going to disappear, but not the whole earth itself. So it says the heavens will disappear, which is interesting because we often think of heaven as where we're going. But in this case, it's talking about the sky that's disappearing. And then the elements will be destroyed by fire. So the big question here is, what are the elements? Like what is being destroyed by fire? So people could assume from this that the elements are like the basic building blocks of the earth and that's what's getting destroyed by fire. That's how a lot of people have understood this. But some scholars think that the elements, and in the word in Greek is stoicheia, that this could be referring to corrupt angelic powers. And so what's happening is not a fire of destruction, but a purifying fire. Okay. So anything that's in opposition to God or anything that's been done out of selfishness or evil motives, that gets swept away. And then the, the good part of the earth is laid bare or left over. All right. So... I've also heard a lot of people say this is when like the sun burns out, it darkens. Ah, yes. And in that case, wouldn't the earth become cold instead of burning up? Great question. There, there are several passages in the Bible that talk about things happening to the heavenly bodies, the sun going dark, the moon being turned to blood, uh, the stars being um, shut out. So let's look at a couple of those passages, I think. Um, this will help. I'm going to first take you to Isaiah chapter 24. And here the prophet Isaiah is talking about Yahweh's devastation of the earth. He's going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. But again, not, not that the earth disappears, but that the evil in it will be destroyed. Okay. So in verses 21 to 23, um, it describes what's going to happen to the heavenly beings so maybe you can read those verses for us. Right. So verse 21 says, In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. Great. So this might remind you of something we talked about back when we did the creation podcast. And we talked about um, the days of creation and how on day four, God creates the sun, moon, and stars. Do you remember what their purpose for being created is? Um, do you want to refresh for our listeners? Yeah. So we talked about how light and dark is created on day one, but we don't actually have the sun, moon, and stars until day four. It specifically tells us they will govern the times 
and the days and the festival festival and the signs like it it uses language that talks about the festival calendar right so remember they're governing so on that basis many of the prophets talk about um, rulers of the spiritual realm using cosmic language like sun moon and stars so okay. here we clearly have powers in the heavens above and kings on the earth below, but that's being compared to the moon and the sun being dismayed and ashamed. So there's a parallel between the heavenly bodies and, and the beings that have rulership over those places. So, so the big idea is that in scripture, especially in prophetic texts, the darkening of the sun or the moon is a symbol or a sign of cosmic social uphe upheaval the removal of rulers from their thrones. So uh, another great example of this is in the book of Acts. This is um, Peter's sermon after Jesus' ascension. And it's on the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost is when the, the Holy Spirit falls on the early church, on the believers, and they begin speaking in other tongues. And people are watching them and trying to figure out what is going on. And Peter tells them, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. So he's quoting from Joel chapter 2. He says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When Joel said this, he's looking ahead to a day of great devastation where God's pouring out his spirit, but it's like a day of reckoning, where if you're on God's team, it's the day you win. And if you're opposed to God, it's the day you lose. And he's using this cosmic imagery that we might expect everything's going to come apart at the seams. But Peter can look around on Pentecost and they're in the temple courts and people are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is it. The sun has been turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Now, the, the, it actually hadn't changed. You know, the, the cosmic signs hadn't changed literally, but what he was seeing was like a change in regime. Like, like God is now king and he's seeing the evidence of that as he looks around him. So N.T. Wright in his commentary on Acts says this, referring to the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood. These were regular ways of referring to what we would call earth shattering events, things in society and global politics that would shake to the foundations, what we call the fabric of society. So if we read it in that context, seeing sun and moon as metaphors for earthly rulers, then we don't have to be looking through a telescope to see the end of the world. Okay, that was really helpful. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what hell is and what it means. Mm -hmm. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. The Masters of Leadership in Global Christian Education is designed for educators who wish to expand their leadership abilities. The program offers the integration of global, biblical, and technological strategies to incorporate into your curriculum. 
This degree will equip you to lead and teach from a global Christian perspective, integrate biblical principles and teachings in the classroom, and leverage instructional technology to empower learners to further the kingdom of God. Building on Prairie's 100-year history as a leader in biblical education, the program will equip you with advanced biblical literacy to apply to your educational context. After you complete the degree, you'll qualify for ACSI's Principal Certification. Start your application to join the 2022 cohort of learners and join a class of emerging education leaders from all over the world. Learn more at prairie.edu slash masters. Looking forward to seeing you in class. All right, so my next question, um, we're talking about hell now. Mm -hmm. We've transitioned um, since it's heaven and hell. We should mm -hmm. probably cover the second half. Mm -hmm. um, so where is hell? Hmm. Great question. First thing to say is, a lot of times Christians talk about heaven and hell as things that kind of go together, like two topics that go together. But very interestingly, the Bible never talks about heaven and hell. It talks about heaven and earth, and it does mention a place called hell in the New Testament. Um, but maybe what it says about hell is not as specific as some people have imagined. So we're going to look at a few passages that talk about hell and see where people get their ideas about it. So starting with Revelation chapter 20. Verse 10. Okay, do you want to read that for us? Sure. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so this is kind of the picture of hell that a lot of people have, that it's this burning lake of fire. Um, this says lake of burning sulfur, and I what, what it brings to my mind is like if you go to Yellowstone in, mm -hmm. in Montana or Wyoming and you see these like these lakes of boiling, almost like natural springs that are really hot and they smell really bad. And they in Banff up here oh, in yes. Canada. Mm -hmm. There's also sulfur lakes here, although they're not quite as um, deadly looking as yes. <laughs> the ones in the States. So what's interesting to notice about this is like who's going in this lake? Well, it says the beast and the false prophets. Yes, so the beast and the false prophet will be tormented day and night forever and ever in this lake. But is this a place where people go? That's where we're, that's what we need a little bit more clarification on. So in, later on in this chapter, it says in verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So here was where it is, all the people who've not signed up to be on God's team, who've not said, Jesus is the way of salvation, and I want to surrender my life to him, accept his sacrifice on my behalf. Those are all people who get thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is probably a good place to just stop and say, I don't like this. And no. I don't know anybody who does like this. So we're not talking about hell because we're excited about hell, but because this is what the Bible teaches and we're trying to understand it. So in Revelation 21, 8, mm -hmm. it talks about how New Jerusalem, like it, in the city, like that's where the people are thriving mm -hmm. and outside of the city is the ruins and the burning, yeah. like fire and like 
So using that metaphor, if heaven is the new earth, mm -hmm. then is it possible that hell is also located on our earth, almost like outside of the city? Yeah, there is a description here, as you mentioned in, in Revelation 21, 8. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So it describes later in 22.15 that they're outside the city. But what's meant by outside the city is a little bit unclear. Um, there are some Christians who believe that, that this lake of fire is the source of eternal conscious torment, that the people who are thrown into it will continue to feel their torment for all eternity. And there are others who say, who see this language of second death, this is the second death, and say they may feel it for a moment, but they will then die, die, and they won't live forever and ex continue to experience that. Um, so I don't know how literally we can take the fire language, it's clearly, um, drawing on metaphors from the Old Testament prophets. Mm -hmm. So for example, Isaiah 66 talks about um, also outside the city. Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched and they will be loathsome to all mankind. So the fire seems to be eternal, but do the are the people alive eternally in the fire is kind of the question okay. that people debate about. All right, so looking back two years um, in Bible class, we were talking about um, what the church in the 1500s was taught. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of things now that we would look at as not what God's plan for us is and mm -hmm. not how we get on his team. Yeah. Um, so one of the things um, they were taught about what hell would be like and out of the seven sins um, for each different one in hell there was a different form of torment. Wow. So as far as I know this isn't in the Bible but that take on it was really mm -hmm. interesting that maybe there are different forms of torture and it's not like a uniform torture. I think maybe this would be a good time to note that hell is not something that God does to us, but that hell is something that people choose. And that's pretty clear from scripture. So, so we saw in, a pa in one of the passages we read earlier from Revelation 20, that the fire is eternal and the devil and his angels go there, the beast and the false prophet go there. Um, they are, they are continually tormented, but whether people are continually tormented is another question. And we saw a list of sins for if you, if you commit these sins, you'll be outside. But we should not imagine for a moment that someone who commits a sin and repents and makes things right with God will still go to hell. Right. Um, so this is talking about those who are persistently rebellious, those who are choosing away from God. They don't want anything to do with him. And in that time, that was also kind of said by saying, if you don't pay your indulgences, which we've now, as a church, come to realize that that's not how God wants us to live and come to Him. Yeah, there were, there were some definite problems in the theology of the Catholic Church in the 1500s, 
A lot of it was coming from writings of the medieval period where people were using lots of imagination to describe levels of heaven and levels of hell and different forms of torture that went way beyond what the Bible actually teaches. So we need to get back to what the Bible teaches. And, I, and I'll just say the Catholic Church today also rejects much of what it was teaching in the 1500s. Some of those abuses have been corrected. So, so I think the bottom line is that hell is eternal separation from God. Whether there's conscious torment is, is, a, is open for debate, but it doesn't appear that there's any way to reverse your condition. If, if you end up in hell, you don't get a second chance to come back. Like Death is that dividing line um, that decides where you're gonna spend eternity, and it's where God gives people what they asked for. So if we've given our lives to God, we get to be with him, and if we've withheld ourselves from God, then we then we get what we asked for, mm -hmm. life apart from God. Um, so now there's the topic of purgatory. Okay. Um, what that means, is it really a thing? Mm -hmm. That's another thing um, about two years ago in Bible class we talked about, and there was this one drawing of hell and heaven like stacked on top of each other with a ladder. Mm -hmm. And the ladder was purgatory. And if you could climb the ladder without oh. the demons ripping you from it, wow. then you've made it into heaven. So yeah. kind of like the survivor game show type wow. look. Okay. So this, this is a really good question, and it sounds like that drawing is actually a distortion of Catholic theology, because mm -hmm. what the Catholic Church actually teaches is that purgatory is a place where you're purified from your sin, but you don't go to purgatory if you've rejected salvation in Christ. Purgatory is only for people who are on their way to heaven, but need some time to be purified first on the way there. Um, so Protestant churches, evangelical churches, don't believe in purgatory. Um, this is a distinctly Catholic doctrine, and again, it's the idea of delayed heaven, and they get it from the book of 2 Maccabees, which they have in their Bibles, but we don't have in ours. Okay, so tell us about the verse that talks about purgatory. Yeah, so in the Catholic Bibles, the book of 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, verse 45, mentions that Judas Maccabeus takes up a collection on behalf of Jews who fell in battle while possessing idols. So they were in a state of sin when they died. They were saved, but they hadn't repented of their current sin. So he's concerned about these people who've died and they're saved, but they're not quite in right standing with God. So he imagines this second place. So the Catholic Church then imagines a kind of a waiting place where people in that scenario will have a chance to be purified before they can be with God. All right, so that's a lot of information to think about. Mm -hmm. um, so do you want to give us a recap on what we've covered? Sure. So today we talked about where hell is, um, and we don't really know exactly where it is, but it's clearly not part of the new creation. Um, it's outside. It involves terrible suffering and separation from God, but it's what people choose. You only go there if you choose it. We also talked about what happens to the earth um, in the new creation, like what, what's going to happen to the earth after Jesus returns. And I argued that it's not going to burn or be destroyed, but that actually it will be purified and prepared for us to live on it again um, as a redeemed creation. All right. So are there any resources our listeners can go to to learn more about heaven and hell? Yes, so here's a book. This is in the CounterPoint series with Zondervan Academic, 
and they have a, a whole bunch of books in this series that are helpful. This one is Four Views on Hell. So if you wanna dig into more of the different ways that people think about hell, this has four different views, everything from eternal conscious torment to there is no hell, everybody's gonna be eventually saved and, and all, the, all the views in between. I mentioned in part one, this book by N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. It's again, really helpful about our destiny and the new creation and why it matters. And then some of what I shared about the burning up of the earth and what that really means and cosmic signs comes from Richard Middleton's book, A New Heaven and a New Earth, which is super helpful as well. All right, so we'll be sure to have these resources linked below, along with ways you can contact us, ask us questions, follow us on social media platforms. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two podcast. See you next time.